0: Thank you, Matt. It's good to hear about uh, a wedding. It uh, fits quite nicely with our message for today. Let me take my mask off so you guys can understand me. Uh, It says in Isaiah 62.5, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Uh, The joy of uh, the bridegroom or the bride or the wedding is of such uh, common significance that uh, God uses it himself to uh, explain the kind of joy that he has over us as we worship the Lord this morning and Jesus' uh, free giving of himself for us uh, with joy uh, so is the joy associated with, uh, with a wedding. My wedding, uh, I well remember, will probably remain uh, one of the happiest days of my life. Uh, perhaps second only to the day when I understood the love of the Lord for me. And yet, uh, we uh, will see in this passage that uh, not all weddings end uh, with a good ending, uh, and they lived happily ever after uh, together, uh, but many of them end in divorce. In fact, statistics are that uh, about 50%, half, about half of all weddings uh, will end in divorce. What would you say if a brother or sister came to you uh, after you've been to the wedding, after they... Uh, made the vow in your presence, uh, saying, till death do us part. And they explain to you that uh, their marriage hasn't been going very well, they've been uh, fighting a lot, and uh, want to know whether they should divorce. Uh, what would you say to that? Where would you turn to in the Scripture Uh, The passage we'll we'll look at today is probably as definitive of an answer to to that question as we will find anywhere in the scripture. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, open your Bible to uh, Matthew chapter 19, and we will read uh, verse 1 through verse 15. So this is Matthew 19, starting in verse 1 reading all the way through to 15. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished his sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and departed from there. As we begin this passage, we see Jesus moving his ministry from Galilee, where it's been centered for the past uh, two and a half years, perhaps, and down to Judea, beyond the Jordan. So not the area right next to Jerusalem, but on the other side of the Jordan River from Jerusalem. Nevertheless, it is a definite step toward the cross. We will will see that more clearly in the next chapters. This was Jesus beginning his move uh, toward Jerusalem where he will eventually be crucified. And as the sign behind us said, behind that white screen, (laughs) he will also be resurrected. Uh, and we see great multitudes following him there. That's perhaps no surprise because they followed him wherever he went at this point. And he healed them. His healing was uh, a mark of evidence of his divinity and uh, his messiahship. That he, w- that he is the savior that God sent to the nation of Israel. But not everybody believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And among them were the religious leaders, the Pharisees in particular, as we see in verse 3, were often resisting Jesus' uh, ministry. They rejected him themselves, and they didn't want anybody else to believe in him. And so here they come to him, testing him, and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So this is not a genuine question. They didn't really want to know whether a man could divorce his wife for just any reason. It was designed to make Jesus look bad. Now, there's a similar kind of test, very different but similar, uh, that they would ask him later on, and is that is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And in that case, uh, really, they were trying to put Jesus in a difficult place if he would say, it is lawful, well, that was the most unpopular thing in the nation of Israel, to pay taxes to Caesar. He would look bad to the people. Uh, If he would say, oh, it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, well, the Romans were on the other side of the the fence, and they would come and arrest him. So the purpose in that uh, case, the question, was actually to try to trap Jesus uh, and make him say something that would offend him to one group or the other. The same thing is likely here, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? If Jesus says no, well, all these people who have divorced or may want to divorce would not like Jesus because now Jesus would be blocking them and saying you can't divorce for just any reason. Uh, if he would, if he would uh, go the other way and say, oh yeah, sure, if you want to divorce, that's fine with me, uh, well, there would be other people who would recognize that, well, that doesn't fit. Uh, with with what God says in the Bible, right? So they were trying to, again, trap Jesus. And Jesus' answer to them was, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together Let not man separate. So the clear and simple answer is no. Not just, you can't divorce for just any reason, but you can't divorce at all. Right? That's a very clear uh, answer that Jesus is giving to them. And he's using the scripture to prove his point. And he goes all the way back to the beginning, to the fact that God was the one who made mankind, and he made them male and female. Now, uh, in the... Early days, so today, if I need a piece of furniture, there's some lovely saints around, and they will give it to me for free and deliver it to my house. And that's really nice. But things don't always work like that. And there was a time in my life where I needed to purchase some furniture. And uh, you could probably go to a store where they're assembled, and they will deliver it to you. But you're going to be paying a little bit more than I had at the time to spend. And so I would order it in pieces, from, you know, Amazon or some other store, and I would have to assemble it. And this thing arrived, and I don't know, at least a hundred pieces. You wouldn't believe the number of pieces that these furnitures are made out of. And I spent, you know, a day or two putting it together. Now, the first thing you look for is a manual, right? Something that explains how all the pieces fit together. And who can write the manual better than the manufacturer? Right? Whoever designed that piece of furniture and made the pieces, they know how it's supposed to go together. Well, the same thing is true about marriage. God is the one who made the pieces. He made male and he made female, and he made a relationship for them to go together. So if you want to know the way marriage is supposed to work, you would go to the manufacturer, the one who made male and female. And what does he say? Well, he says very clearly that they shall become one flesh. Now, clearly, the way we think about flesh, me and my wife didn't become one flesh, but we did become one. Uh, I remember after Rick Bellis finished you know, marrying us, he said, let me be the first to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Noah Shapira. And uh, basically, it was a recognition that me and my wife were now joined together into a single unit a family right that is that is the definition of a family a man and a woman if God blesses us with children praise the Lord but the family was already created the family unit was there when me and my wife uh, were married and Jesus says you know now that they're just one God has joined us together let not man separate us so divorce is just not an option is what Jesus clearly was teaching here. Now, it appears that the Pharisees are now going on the defensive. They did not expect this answer, just like they didn't expect Jesus' answer when they challenged him about the taxes to the Romans. I don't know if you remember the answer Jesus gave. He took a coin out, or someone gave him a coin. He says, whose image is it? And they said, Caesar. And he said, well, give to Caesar that which is Caesar, and give to God that which is God. And... uh, in this case, his answer that divorce is not God's plan for marriage caught them by surprise because they actually did allow for divorce. They were somewhat strict about it. You couldn't divorce for just any reason, but there were reasons they felt were justifiable for divorce. And Jesus saying that, that there isn't caught them off guard. And so they, they in their defense, they bring up... Um, a commandment by Moses. As they say it, they say, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? They're saying, wait, wait, Jesus, your your statement goes against Moses. And uh, Jesus uh, is not afraid of them and what they think about Moses. Uh, He points out that it's not that. Moses did not... um, Command that divorce should happen, but he recognized it was going to happen. It says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So let's go ahead and look to see what Moses actually said, and that is found in Deuteronomy 24. So if you want, you can turn to Deuteronomy 24, and there it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens, that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the later husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the later husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband, who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination to the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So Moses doesn't actually say here it's okay to divorce your wife. What he says here, if you divorce his wife, if you divorce your wife, and she goes and marries somebody else, And he divorces her or dies, you can't take her again as your wife. Right? He's not saying it's okay, but in case it does happen and you divorce your wife, here are some boundaries of what must not happen. Right? So he knows, Jesus says he knows the hardness of your heart. He knows if he says you can't divorce, you're not going to honor that. Right? He can't stop you from divorcing, he's trying to stop you from doing greater. Damage than divorce by itself, right? So there's a permission here in the sense that Moses doesn't come down hard and say in the law of Moses, you shall not divorce. You will not find such a law in the Old Testament. Uh, but he doesn't at the same time say it's okay to divorce, right? So there's no contradiction in scripture. It's simply that Moses is dealing with Israel in the fallen state, and he knows that to expect perfection of them uh, is never going to work. In fact, even with these laws that were, we would consider perhaps not as strict as could be, Israel miserably fails in keeping them. How much worse would they have done if, if Moses had been stricter than he has been uh, with them? Okay, so that's what Moses actually says. And Jesus points out that that does not contradict uh, what he is saying and it says, from the beginning it was not so. Again, stressing the fact that God, there's no place for divorce in God's plan uh, for marriage. And I thought I can quote just a couple of more verses about that to show this is the consistency of the scripture. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, allows a separation. He says, now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, the wife, is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and the husband is not to divorce His wife. So, Paul recognizes that there may be times when the two just cannot live peaceably, safely together, and maybe it's necessary that there's a separation, but he he strictly outlaws divorce. Right? Separation, there may be times when that is required, uh, but divorce is never allowed. And the goal even in separation is for reconciliation to happen, for the Two of them to come back together. Okay, so very clear. uh, The scripture is consistent with what Jesus is teaching in this passage. Okay. Now, strangely, the disciples themselves, uh, amazed by what Jesus is saying, it says his disciples said to him, uh, actually, I'm sorry, let me go back. I, I did want to make a comment about this. Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. There seems to be an exception here for the case of sexual immorality. And I think uh, what, the way, best way to understand it is divorce results in adultery. For me to divorce my wife and to say, you know, I don't really want to spend more time with you. Let's divorce and you can go marry somebody else. And I already have in mind somebody else I want to marry. Right? Just because I committed divorce doesn't mean that is not adultery. That is still adultery. Right? God does not recognize that divorce. But let's say sexual immorality happened. Let's say me or my wife who unfaithful to each other, well, the sanctity of the marriage union is already broken. So the divorce doesn't make it a more adulterous relationship. The, the relationship is already broken. Now, you don't have to divorce because of adultery. But in the case of adultery, the sanctity of marriage has already been broken so that the act of divorce in that case does not in itself produces the adultery. That has already happened. Okay. Uh, so as I said, the disciples now uh, you know, come out apparently against Jesus, which is a very strange place to be as a disciples. I mean, they're following him. He is Israel's Messiah. They're trusting in him for salvation. And yet, uh, when he speaks here, they say, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. And uh, so it just tells us how revolutionary what Jesus was saying was, not just at this time, but at that time. Right? Even then, people could not imagine that divorce was really not permitted. It was just such a regular part of life for people to divorce each other. And uh, so no better than we today. 50%, half of all marriages and in divorce, completely against God's plan for marriage. And Jesus was just answering honestly. This is the way God looks at it. And his disciples just could not believe that. Um, the other thing uh, I wanted to note here is, if you think about what they're saying, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry If I can't divorce my wife, it is better not to marry at all. Why would that be? Well, the only thing I can think of, from their point of view, I'm not saying this is true, is, well, if you're allowed to divorce a person, you could use it to get them to do what you want them to do. if you don't start cooking me better meals, I'm going to divorce you. Right? If you don't you know, clean up around the house a bit more, I'm going to divorce you. Right? I mean, it's used as a weapon right, to force the other person to do what you want them to do. That is not God's idea of marriage. Right? Marriage is supposed to be love. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. The wife is to love and respect her husband. Right? And that's supposed to be the motivation in serving one another, in love, serve one another. Right? That's how a marriage ought to be. Not a weapon. <laughs> you know, I will divorce you unless you start shaping up to the kind of, of wife or husband that I expect you to be. Not, not, God, not God's idea of a marriage. Okay. Now interestingly, Jesus is answering them quite graciously. He's not rebuking them for count, countering him or for their idea of marriage, he actually takes them along and says, all cannot accept this saying. What he says is, what I'm about to tell you, not everybody uh, can do. But in a sense, the answer is yes. There could be cases where it actually is better not to marry. Marriage is not a law. God doesn't command us to marry. It is an option not to marry, Right? Uh, And he explains that with uh, an analogy. He says, uh, for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. So a eunuch is a person uh, who cannot have intercourse, and uh, particularly a man. And... uh, That could be either due to a congenital condition. You might be born in that way. That would be from your mother's birth. Or it could be a surgical procedure that was uh, done in that time, especially to prepare someone for a special uh, position in the king's court. So the king uh, had certain jobs that he would only assign to a eunuch, to a man who couldn't have intercourse because it meant the man didn't have a wife, he didn't have children, he didn't have the distractions associated (coughs) with that, and could just focus on what the king wanted him to do. He could dedicate his life to whatever job the king had for him. And Jesus says, in a similar way, there are those uh, who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdoms of heaven's sake. Now, he's not saying that Uh, Christians should go through this surgical procedure in order to not be able to have uh, intercourse. But he's saying that Christians could choose for the sake of focusing their lives on serving the king, they could choose not to marry. Right? It's not, you could serve Jesus as a married person, but as an unmarried person, you could dedicate more of your time to serving God. Right? I need to spend some of my time with my wife, and I enjoy doing it. I don't begrudge having a wife. I spend some time with my children, uh, playing with them or or working with them, and and I'm happy to do that. Uh, And these things have spiritual value as well, but it does limit how much of my time I can spend on perhaps ministering to the saints, uh, preparing messages going out as a missionary to perhaps dangerous places. There's there's a certain value in not being married and serving the Lord. And Jesus says it's fine if you don't want to marry because you want to focus on your ministry, it's fine. And it's very possible that quite a few of these disciples never got married and actually served the Lord uh, as singles, which is fine. But Jesus is very clear that it's only to those to whom it has been given. Right? It's not something that Jesus is expecting of everyone, um, but only those to whom God has given that particular gift of singleness. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians 7 as well. He says, For I wish that all men were even as myself. And he's talking about himself serving the Lord as a single uh, man, and not, not being uh, as, as he might I've called it burden with wife and children, but being able to focus on the Lord. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So that he recognized that was a gift that God has given him to be able to serve the Lord as a single man. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So he recognized there's a real benefit in serving the Lord as a single person. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So clearly not everybody has the gift of serving the Lord as a single. And in that case, uh, please uh, get married in the Lord's will. Right? You want to marry the person that the Lord has for you. Okay, then the passage seems to transition as uh, little children are brought to Jesus. So uh, as Jesus perhaps was teaching, uh, he was healing, he was answering challenging questions by the Pharisees, Uh, some mothers or maybe fathers were bringing their little children to Jesus so that he would lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples like, you know, guys, you're getting in the way. Can't you see the Lord is busy? He has these other important things he's doing. He doesn't have time to lay his hands on your children and and pray for them. Uh, Why is this passage here? Well, because children are the natural uh, product of a marriage. Right? Uh, God chose. God could have decided to bring uh, children into the world any way he wanted to. Uh, he he uh, says at some point that God could bring uh, children to Abraham out of stones. So if God so chose. But that's not how God chose to bring children into the world. He chose to bring them into the world through the union of a man and a woman. And I, I don't mean just the physical aspect of it. But it was really his idea that it was going to be part of a family. The husband and the wife loving each other, having a relationship uh, with the Lord, would have children and they would teach and train their children to also know the Lord and to uh, love one another and love others outside of the family. Right? There was, there was a, a purpose for God in bringing children into the world through that particular process of marriage and uh, Jesus has a very different view of these children than his disciples his disciples think of the children as not as important as the grown ups that were coming to Jesus not as important as the sick people who needed to be healed but Jesus looked at the children and he said let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He was looking at them as eternal beings. Children are not just, uh, (coughs) you know, flesh and blood. Uh, they, They have a soul. They have a spirit. God made them for an intimate relationship with himself that will last way past this world is destroyed. And so... They are incredibly precious. And God has committed His children to us in the family union. And when a man and a woman decide to divorce, they're destroying that nice bubble that God created for us to raise our children in. In uh, the same passage in Malachi 2, He says, but did he not make them one, the man and the woman, right? Having a remnant of the spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. The purpose was to bring godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Why? Because you're destroying the bubble that I created. I created a perfect environment for you to raise children, and you are destroying it. Okay. So what application can we take for ourselves from this passage? Uh, It's notable to me that the the passage begins with uh, Jesus having the cross on his mind, right, to go to Jerusalem and there to provide for you and I to have eternal life. And it ends with Jesus taking little children in his arm, praying for them, with the same view in mind. He's thinking about their eternal welfare. Uh, I submit to you that that is the key for, uh, for our marriages. Right? They have to have a similar eternal viewpoint. Uh, as everything else we do in our lives should have an eternal viewpoint, viewpoint in mind, my marriage shouldn't just be about me and my personal desires. It shouldn't be about my wife and her personal desires. It should be about God's great plan, great plan for our salvation, great plan for our children's salvation, great plan for the world's salvation. If our minds are on bigger things, then some of these frictions of our daily lives that we struggle with become smaller and allow us to enjoy the marriage God wants us to have, allow us to, uh, children, to enjoy uh, the family union, family unit that God has created uh, for their benefit and really uh, ours and for the whole world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your clear teaching, the clear teaching of your son uh, on this subject. We realize that there are many difficulties and trials in life that that uh, lie behind the statistics of uh, 50% of divorce, uh, even though that is not your will for us. We pray for ourselves, Lord. We pray that you guard us from that rending uh, that, uh, of the union that uh, you have created uh, in our marriage. Help us, Lord, be the families you want us to be and, uh, and help us bring our children in a way that uh, allows allows them to enjoy uh, the fruits of your salvation as well. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.